Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 213, recorded August 22nd, 2015. So today we're back in the Mirror Universe. Yes, we're, we're, we have quite a stay there. We've been here for a while. Yeah, we've had three issues so far and we're going another three. Yes. And how many to follow? And then there'll be two more. Two more after today's three issues, so... Right, two more issues, not uh, not episodes, just to be clear. Oh, okay, I said episodes, sorry. You did not, I'm just saying, I don't want uh, the listeners to be confused. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So this is quite, okay, so we'll be at six issues in the story arc as of the end of this episode. So six, seven, eight, an eight-issue story arc. Is that, is that no, like the longest? Nine. nine. Oh. Right, so we, we'll be up to six today, yeah. and then there'll be two more. So that six, seven, eight. eight. You're right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. So eight. That's quite a few. Is that the longest story arc we've done? It's got to be up there if it isn't. The yeah, longest. it's a pretty long one. Yeah. Yeah. To have one continuous story going on and on. Right. And the thing that saves it, and I'm, I am enjoying it so far, and you said you were also before we started recording. It's like they've got like, like two or three TV episodes going on here. I mean. I mean, or things that could be separate episodes. So they're covering a lot of ground, and they're definitely <laughs> exercising their mirror universe mojo. Yeah, especially with the the second story we'll be doing today. Right, Mike Barr definitely likes living in this particular story idea. Right, well, which I'm okay with. I I don't like it when they try to wrap things up too fast. And I agree. So take your time, tell a good story. Yeah. Well, as long as you take your yeah, take your time and tell a good story. Don't just right. stretch things out. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And they're not. They're so far. This is this is all good. Right. Nope. I'm liking it. Good. There's a few things in this first story that bothered me, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, but overall, I'm enjoying the the overarching. Exactly. How often are how often is a comic book or any story really perfect? Very seldom. So. Right. We all have our nits, and we will both have our nits about these three comics. <laughs> all right. Well, you want to go ahead and get started? Well, that would be great. Okay. Well, I get to do the first one. This is uh, New Frontiers Chapter 4, entitled The Tantalus Trap. Star Trek Volume 1, Number 12, published March 1985. The writer and co-editor was Mike W. Barr. The artists were Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Michelle Wolfman. And co-editor, Marv Wolfman. So the cover shows a much smaller ISS Enterprise attacking the huge Excelsior. The story starts with the main crew of the former Enterprise... Having taken control of the Mirror Universe's Enterprise, 
while the Mirror Universe Kirk has taken command of the USS Excelsior. The Mirror Universe Kirk has programmed the Enterprise to self-destruct in 60 seconds. Only 60 seconds! This command is irreversible, so even though the R. Kirk sounds just like the Mirror Universe, he cannot stop it. It's unstoppable. So the Taz crew that we know and love are about to blow up. Knowing that the time is ticking, Kirk has an idea and sets things into motion. He orders everyone to the saucer section, and he orders Scotty to go to engineering and transfer all available power to the batteries. Only seconds pass, and we have all the crew in different parts of the ship traveling to and fro. So the turbo lifts are going super fast. Kirk orders Scotty, who's now on the bridge, to go to the captain's quarters with Savick. And then he orders the saucer separation. As it does so, the engines ignite into the self-destruct supernova. And Sulu pilots the saucer section to ride the shockwave like a surfboard. While this is happening, Savick and Scotty have the Tantalus field, which is in the Mirror Universe's captain's quarters, rigged to radiate outside of the ship itself. As the saucer section is about to hit the Excelsior, or pass by, depending on the panel, Kirk uses the Tantalus field to target a critical component in the Excelsior, which knocks out the great ship's power. Kirk, McCoy, and a few others suit up in EV suits, and they spacewalk over to the Excelsior in a scene much like the one in Into Darkness. Once there, they use intruder gas to knock everyone out on the Excelsior. Only one man is smart enough or tough enough to cover his mouth and not be affected by the gas. And this is none other than Mirror Kirk. Mirror Kirk finds the intruders, and an epic battle commences between Mirror Kirk and Prime Kirk. It is a close call, but eventually the Prime Kirk is able to subdue his doppelganger with fists to each ear. Once they load up the Mirror crew into stasis pods, Kirk contacts Starfleet. Starfleet wants him to turn himself in, and Kirk wants to travel to Vulcan to check on Spock and Mirror Spock, who... They found out, went over there to kill the Prime Spock. McCoy informs Kirk that his duty should be to stop the invasion from the other dimension. Kirk agrees, and he disobeys his orders and his heart, and he prepares to travel to the Mirror Universe. As he is heading out, he picks up much of the new Enterprise crew, which includes Bearclaw, Bryce, Kanar, etc., once he has them, they head out at Transwarp 15. And with some modifications to the ship, it slips into the Mirror Universe. Speaking of Spock, while all this has been going on, the two Spocks were on Vulcan, locked into a mind meld. Mirror Spock, trying to learn the secrets of Genesis and kill Prime Spock, has seen the error of his ways, and the two have teamed up. They took the bird of prey from Vulcan to meet with the Excelsior just as it jumped into the other dimension. Next up, Masquerade. To be continued. Yeah, so when the Klingon ship showed up at the last minute, it was like, 
I had completely forgotten about the two Spocks locked in their mind meld of death. And it's right. like, what's the Vulcan ship doing there? And then it's like, oh, that's the that's the Spocks. Okay, fine. <laughs> so that was like, whoa, what's he coming in? How how are the Klingons involved in this? It's like, you <laughs> idiot. It's the Spocks, of course. Anyway. Right. They they just peppered a few panels. I uh, I kept the Spock synopsis to to the end, but right. throughout the story, it just keeps flashing back over to right. Vulcan. But to me, that was just... To be honest, I felt like it was... We'll throw in a couple of panels of Spock so that you're not paying attention that these 60 seconds are going really slow. <laughs> I mean... I've seen people ride the turbo lift. It takes, you know, they can have a whole conversation in the turbo lift just to get from engineering to the bridge. I find it hard to believe they can go from engineering to the bridge, to the captain's quarters, to uh, the auxiliary bridge, all this in 60 seconds, and still have time to do all this magic mumbo-jumbo to rig up the saucer section and the tantalus field and all this other stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's okay. So Tantalus Field. I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm used to the Tantalus Field being something where you can a spy on people, so you can magically see without cameras. Without cameras, which is not the first time you can do that in the Star Trek universe. Like being able to pick up video from a Romulan bird of prey bridge. Yeah, with no camera. Good. And then the second function is to destroy people. You know, just. Zap, gone, people, zapped. And that's the way I'm used to thinking of it. Here, they have... I mean, that's that's cool and clever that Kirk is using that. He should use that. It's on the evil Kirk's enterprise. Use everything you can get your hands on. But being able to use it in like a destruct mode to destroy components of the Excelsior... Kind of surprised about that. A bit of a stretch, I thought, but it's like, well, oh, I, I guess. I mean, it's a well, tantalus field. If you can zap a person, you can zap a a component, panel. I guess. Um, it's just it's more. It seems more like like people just disappear from existence. So rather than being like an explosion or something, it just like it's like transport. I mean, didn't we talk about the idea that maybe the tantalus device is partially uh, based on transporter technology? Anyway, right. Okay, so rather than blowing up the part, the critical component, they kind of just made it disappear. I guess. Right. Right. Okay. Activate disintegration function, Kirk says. Okay, well, cool. So right. so the Tantalus device is kind of like um, a sh- uh, cloaking device. You definitely want to take that back with you. <laughs> That'd be a nice little tool to have right. in your back pocket, I'll tell you. Anyway. Right. Yeah, I I also thought it was odd that Scotty kept saying, "Well, I'm not I'm not sure if it's going to work through the shields." Oh, right. I'm not uh-huh. sure if it's going to work through the shields and the whole time you're reading it going, "I bet it works through the shields." <laughs> <laughs> and then it did, so you're like, "Okay." Okay, fine. Well, it's magic, so why shouldn't it work through the shields? Mm-hmm. What do you want? So, I tell you, I'm amazed at how handy the transwarp drive is. So not only can it take you to speeds of warp 15, and we'll eventually see today... Maybe even faster. Exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll eventually see even a higher number, the likes of which I have never seen before. 
But it also allows you to not need two shuttles with some special equipment doing some special magic to get you between dimensions. Just use the modified transwarp engines. That's so handy! Right. Isn't it? Yeah, I forgot, I forgot that that's how the Enterprise got to this dimension, is that they had those shuttles on each side of it. Yeah, doing some special magic. Right, uh, yeah, I forgot but about that. Because of transwarp engines, Excelsior can do it with no shuttles. So, very handy. Magic. It's it's magic. Yeah. So uh okay, so Uhura was able to get the con in this issue. Back About in time. back in nineteen eighty five. Nineteen eighty five it happened. <laughs> now correct me if I'm wrong, but in the video verse, the first time she was able to do it was in the darkness. In the video verse, is that what well, you called it? I called it video verse. So TV, movies, reboots, you know that kind of thing. Oh, okay. So I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was in the darkness where she took over the ship and she was at the con. Yeah, I don't remember it any other time. Right. Okay. Fine. So it took till 2014 or is it 2013? Well, anyway. It took the, it took well into the 2000s for it to happen in the video verse. Yet in the comic verse, it happened in 1985. That's, yeah, that's pretty yeah. impressive. I, I'm impressed. I did think it was funny that she had something sassy to say when she when she sat in the chair. She yeah, said, well, better late than never. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Not quite as I, I thought in the recent Ant Man movie where Wasp finally sees her outfit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did she say? I think she was a little bit more sassy when she said, like, finally or something. I forgot what she right. said exactly. Something like that. Or no, it's about time or something like that. <laughs> so, anyway, it's about time. So, good for her. So, speaking of Into Darkness, what did you think about the jump from the saucer section to the Excelsior? Didn't did you Were you getting an Into Darkness vibe there? Oh, yeah, completely. Yes. That's funny. So Orsi and the other writers, they got exposed to a lot of ideas probably reading comic books. I'm not saying it came – I'm not saying that that part of the script came from this issue, but I'm just saying you see a lot of uh, – you see a lot of interesting ideas in all these comic books. Right. That might have been used. Who knows? Yeah, I doubt it, but it is similar. Yes. Yes, it is. But they use the gas that you love so much. <laughs> Anesthesine gas? Well, think... they don't call it that. No, yeah. they don't. But in, the, in, in Taz, I think that's what they called it. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. I do think it's funny that Kirk's the only one, Mirror Kirk, who can put his hand up to his mouth and somehow <laughs> filter out this gas. I know. That's BS. With just a few little coughs. That's BS. He won't <laughs> win. Nah. <Okay. laughs> oh, oh, it didn't affect me. Yeah, okay. I'm Kirk. I'm bad. Yeah, he's bad butt for sure. Yeah. Ah, what a, what a, yeah, I, I, okay, so there's a situation where, okay, you got to have a mono mono fight. Okay, fine. So the reader will forgive us this transgression because it is a transgression. I mean, that gas is sitting around long enough that you aren't going to hold your breath long enough. And I'm sorry, right. if you hold your nose, that ain't going to do it. Or 
you know, he's take a piece of holding his nose. He's just holding his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, right. no. It's it's really And he's the only one. If you can if you can keep yourself from breathing the gas by your hand going to your mouth, you'd think he's the only one who did that. As soon yeah. as you see gas, that's what you would do. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing. If you really did that kind of thing, you would make it invisible. <laughs> it's like if so, if there are intruders on the ship, you really don't want to give them any kind of idea that right. there's there's knockout gas in the area. Right. And at first I thought that it was invisible and that, you know, they were just showing it for us. Yeah. But you actually have some crew members like pointing to the gas. Captain Look Gas. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, nope, it's definitely visible. Yeah. And doesn't it kind of look a little bit more like maybe the stuff that used to come up from Pepe Le Pew in the cartoons? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. All right, and then the big fight between Kirk and Mirror Kirk. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, I- I'm sorry. I don't care what the doctor says. You shoot the other Kirk. You don't. Yeah, let's who, let's who leave it between what, them. Yeah, who cares what therapeutic benefits of this fight are going to happen to the real captain? You go ahead and take out the bad captain, and you worry about Kirk's feelings or frustrations later. You don't, you don't put the whole mission at risk just so that you know right. you can have a therapeutic fight with yourself. Doesn't yeah. make sense, right? So, speaking of that. Was Kirk hit in the right arm by uh, Evil Kirk's phaser? Because that's oh, kind of yeah. like what it makes it look like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's hit. Okay. Now, mind you, he's got a spacesuit on, which would give you some protection, but it's a phaser. So, and this is a bad guy who probably doesn't have it on stun. Super light stun. Exactly. And that's what it would have to be, right? Yeah. Because I'm put it on sting. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put it on, hit the other guy upside the head, but nothing more mode. Right. Because then, then Kirk turns around, his arm seems okay, and he's angry, like somebody just hit him upside the head. I didn't know they had that mode on phasers. Anyway, whatever. And so then they go and right. fight, and I don't care how advanced these the spacesuit might be. You gotta be. That's gotta be heavy, right? Right. I mean, and it's gotta restrict your movement. And yes, it'll give you some protection from body blows or something like that. But come on, Kirk. Kirk is like doing the Kirk thing. He's horizontal, you know, doing tumbles, springing around. <laughs> when he kicks evil Kirk and gets the phaser out of his hand, he is literally horizontal in this right. spacesuit. No way. Anyway, whatever. I just thought. And as far as the phaser, as far as the suit providing protection from a phaser, yeah. I mean, one of the only times we saw someone being disintegrated in the the movies right. was Star Trek Two. The captain, the oh right, I forgot his name. That's right. And he was in a full blown yeah. Uh, he was in a space suit. Space suit. That's right. right. And he and turns he... it on himself and shoots him. There you go. So yeah. we know that. Uh, the spacesuits do not provide phaser protection. No, I wouldn't think Unless so. Unless the writer warrants it. <laughs> Which apparently we, happened in this we case. We see this all the time. We've seen Worf get hit in the shoulder and he's a, with a disruptor. And instead of it just evaporating him altogether, he just 
pulls this jacket off. I mean, it was another comic book, but yeah, yeah. you know, uh, this is not the first time we've seen it, but no. uh, it still it still irks me. Yes, I don't blame you. Okay, another thing that irks me, since you're mentioning irking, mm. batteries, batteries. Okay, they got the saucer section getting ready to detach from the star drive section, engineering section, whatever you want to call it. And Kirk tells Scotty to make sure to charge up the batteries. It's like, really? Batteries. So when the saucer section detaches from the star drive, it's running on batteries. Really? Right. Yeah, because you don't have the um, you don't have engineering in there anymore. Well, okay, okay. Now, maybe this is something that came in with next gen. But definitely at the end of season three, beginning of season four, when we, of course, have the what is, to me, one of the greatest two-parters of Star Trek ever, best of both worlds. Uh, they were talk when they're trying to fight the Borg. They talk about bringing all a bunch of fusion reactors online just to have the the maximum amount of punch. Wouldn't you think you'd have some kind of energy generation thing going on in the saucer section? Well, okay, again, this is next gen. We know the saucer section can fire phasers, they got photon torpedoes, they got transporters, and of course they've got impulse engines. So all that stuff is run off of batteries. I don't think so. I, I, I think something like a fusion reactor may, or some kind of reactor makes an awful lot of sense. So whatever. But you know, normally we don't see Taw's Enterprise detaching like that. Seems like we've been doing it lately since uh, the ongoing did it. Yeah, you know, last week. But uh, right. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. You're right. It doesn't happen very often. No. But you'd think you'd have something more than batteries, wouldn't you? No. Yes. Anyway. And what I didn't like is that that conversation between Kirk and Spock. I mean, Kirk and Scotty. I don't know if it was just abridged, but I had no idea what they were talking about because it seemed like Kirk was just like cutting him off and that after you've transferred the power to the batteries. Oh. And then I was like, what are you talking about? After what? You didn't say anything first. You know, it was just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and Scotty's surprised about... What does he say? Batteries? The batteries? Yeah, exactly. uh, okay. Oh, yeah, we got some yeah. D-cells over here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it seemed very yeah. choppy. Right. But I, I'm like I said, I still can't get over all the stuff they did, and then it's like still have it, only twenty seconds had passed. Twenty seconds had passed. Right. So that was the part I couldn't get over. Right. Um, one last bit of, of part I couldn't get over was the idea that I saw generations. I know what happens when you detach the last minute from the star drive section. Right. Exactly what happened here. You. Get hit by the shockwave, and you—if you're in a planet orbit, you will go into it. Otherwise, you just get launched out like a like a missile. Well, <laughs> okay. I, I was thinking more like almost destroyed. They were very close to the star drive, and when the warp core goes, that's a pretty big explosion, right? You got matter and antimatter that now can mix together, right? Without the magnetic whatevers that separates them. I mean, that's a big explosion. I was just having a hard time with how the saucer section was able to survive that. No, you're absolutely right. Because haven't we seen 
you know, like during the Dominion War and stuff like that, where two ships were fighting each other, and then they would self-destruct one of them, and it would take out both ships. Which, you know, those ships fighting each other would be further away than the saucer section is from the Star Drive. So, right. yeah, I'm with you 100%. There, there's no way anytime you eject, you know, anytime you do the saucer separation, I don't see how it would ever benefit you. <laughs> yeah, you have to get pretty far away. And you don't have warp drive anymore, so you're going at, you know, impulse speeds, and you have to get far enough away so that uh, you don't blow up along with it. Right. Now, mind you, impulse engines can get you going pretty fast, but I think it takes some time to build up speed. Mm. Anyway. Anything else on this one? Uh, I don't think so. I think I've... Yeah, I've hit all my points. All right. I have one comment about the artwork. I don't like how smooth the ships are. I mean, they, oh. have, they just look like pie plates almost yeah. because they're so smooth, especially the Excelsior. Oh, I agree. I agree. In fact, I'm going to make this comment. Well, I was going to make this comment in a later issue, but there are some scenes uh, from beneath on the Excelsior where it's so smooth and they've drawn the engineering section so bulbous it's like, I mean, really, the Excelsior looks like a sperm. Oh, God. No, it does. I mean, <laughs> okay, so, so keep that in mind, sperm. And that's, that's okay to say sperm, right? That's not a bad word. So keep that in mind. You couldn't have said tadpole. Uh, well, but it's all white. And, uh, I got it. Okay. So uh, <laughs> well, anyway, keep, your, keep that in mind as we go into the next issues. There's one shot angle in particular that makes it look sperm-like. All right, you'll have to point that out. Anyway, well, okay, well, maybe. Okay. (laughs) All right, and then uh, one last thing for me, just, uh, and it has nothing to do with the book itself, but there's an advertisement for something called Universe Crisis on Infinite Earth. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So, uh, DC. I mean, this was... That was big. That was big. It was huge, but it's not called Universe Crisis on Infinite Earth. It's it's just called Crisis on Infinite Earth. Right. So it's kind of cool to see a, an advertisement before it actually came out with with a different title. Ah, I, I never heard that it was going to be called Universe. <laughs> so I learned a little bit about DC history just by reading this, cool. this issue. Yeah, and I never read that comic, but I did listen to the audiobook adaptation. Right. And that was... Uh, that, well, I thought the uh, audiobook adaptation was pretty good. I mean, how they could fit that many characters from the DC history is amazing. I mean, I didn't even know that there was a Uncle Sam superhero. So, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. <laughs> so DC had Uncle Sam personified into a superhero and Marvel or whatever they were back then had Captain America. And I'm sure maybe others, but right. I'm I'm sure there was tons. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a time of very patriotic stuff. Right. And yep. and wasn't actually Uncle Sam led a group of superheroes that I were Atomic Man and some other stuff like that. So those were other people from that time period. Right. Okay. Right. Cool. Yeah, during the the golden age. The golden age of comics. Cool. Yep. Okay, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it so. Okay, so I'm doing this one. Issue number 13, New Frontiers, Chapter 5, Masquerade. 
Published date, April 1985. Everybody's the same, except I think the letterer is new, Carrie Spiegel. At least new compared to the previous issue. The cover shows what appears to be our Captain Kirk in the uniform of Evil Kirk. He is torn since he has come face to face with an alternate dimension version of his son, David. In addition to David, who is holding a phaser on Kirk, there are eight or more rough-looking space pirates, or whatever they are, that are holding guns on Kirk. But they look like space pirates to me. They all have weird outfits and weird face paint. and Looks, looks like a KISS concert or maybe space pirates. I don't know what. Okay. Kirk stands in a pit being questioned by evil Starfleet brass. They accuse him of failing in his mission to return with knowledge of the enemy's strengths and defenses. This Kirk is our Captain Kirk, posing as the alternate dimension James Tiberius Kirk. He and his crew are taking the gamble of their lives aboard the Excelsior as they use their transwarp engines to enter the dimension of the Terran Empire and foil plans to invade our dimension. The High Counselor is accusing Kirk of total failure, losing his ship, not having information he was tasked with fetching, and now the other dimension's Starfleet is alerted to their plans. Kirk counters, saying the loss of the Enterprise was a sacrifice, so he could capture the more advanced starship Excelsior. Kirk demonstrates the shiny new ship's firepower on a nearby decommissioned space dock. Kirk plays his gambit and proposes that he should lead the Empire's attack force in Excelsior to expand the Empire across two dimensions, perhaps with more dimensions to follow. A member of the Council, named Sorkin, refuses Kirk's proposal, but surprisingly the High Counselor grants Kirk's request. Kirk returns to the Excelsior. Uhura reports they are being scanned by Empire HQ. She further reports the jamming she set up is keeping them from seeing anything. Kirk contacts McCoy to deeply sedate their evil counterparts. Kirk contacts Scotty to find a place to put them while the Empire's inspection crews are on board. Kirk thinks about Mr. Spock and wonders why his counterpart was sent to fetch him back in their own dimension. Meanwhile, in our dimension, the two Spocks are on the Klingon bird of prey we saw at the end of the last issue. They are feverishly making modifications to the ship to enable it to cross over to the evil alternate dimension. Our Spock looks at a display screen to the outside that shows a small fleet of Starfleet ships. He recommends to his goateed counterpart to complete his modifications with all due haste. Meanwhile, in the starship Armstrong, Captain Stiles is demanding the bird of prey to open a channel and state their intentions. Spock reports they do not have the power to reply, so Stiles opens fire. Luckily, the alternate universe Spock completes his realignment of the warp core antimatter flow, enabling them to cross over to the alternate universe and without transport drive or shuttles. Huh. It really is easy. Meanwhile, in the alternate universe of the Earth Empire, Kirk and a landing party beam down to the planet and carry out reconnaissance to see what a typical society is like in this dimension. On the surface, it does not look all that different. But when they enter a bar, they see life-and-death duels taking place above the bar. A blood sport. 
Savick tells the story of how, in this dimension, history diverged from our own when the Romulans successfully attacked Earth and won a hundred years ago. Earthmen banded together to form a resistance that eventually drove the Romulans out of our solar system. They did not stop with gaining their freedom, but fought on to never be conquered again. They would be the conquerors now. They created the Empire that took over as much of the Milky Way galaxy as they could. The history lesson ends when a belligerent captain named Blaine tries to take Commander Moreau for his own. Kirk defends her, and the mano imano fight begins. Kirk eventually triumphs, but will not kill Blaine. To maintain the illusion of the barbarian Kirk, he says Blaine is not worth killing. Later that night in Kirk's quarters, he gets horizontal with Commander Moreau. Ooh. Later still at 3 a.m., she wakes Kirk to go out and meet friends of hers. She offers to introduce him to the Resistance. They travel far on Earth until they arrive on Alcatraz Island, where they meet the Resistance. When they recognize Kirk, they immediately assume Moreau betrayed them and prepare to kill them both. But a new person says if anyone will kill Kirk, it will be him. He earned it. It's Kirk's son, David, back from the dead. Kirk is surprised and elated. Eventually, David recognizes this, can't be his true father, and believes Moreau's explanation that this is the Captain Kirk from the other dimension that she told them about earlier. David calls off the firing squad. Apparently, he is their leader. David talks about his plans to release dissident scientists that are held on a prison planet. Kirk says he can't help him with that because he has a plan of his own. He plans on leading an assault force back to his own dimension and there turn on the Empire's assembled fleet. Most of the finest ships of the Empire will be destroyed and without them significantly weaken the Empire. Meanwhile, one of David's minions thinks to himself how much the Empire will pay for news that Kirk has betrayed them. The next day, they return to the Excelsior, with David dressed as a lieutenant in the Empire's army. The invasion fleet is ready to transition to our dimension. With Admiral Turner's blessing, Kirk takes the Excelsior out to meet with the rest of the fleet at the transition point. On their way, they happen to come across the Klingon bird of prey with the two Spocks inside. They bring them aboard the Excelsior, where they promptly faint from lack of life support and food. McCoy brings them to sickbay. They catch up on what has been going on, and both Spocks join Kirk and crew on their mission against the Empire. The Excelsior, with the bird of prey in tow, and with cloaking device active, joins the rest of the fleet. Admiral Turner gives an attack force-wide pep talk and tells them to win a dimension for the Gipper. Captain Blaine is in command of one of the attack force ships. At the last minute, the traitorous spy in the Rebels' midst contacts Turner and tells him Kirk is a traitor who intends to destroy the attack fleet. Turner believes him with absolutely zero proof and promises a field promotion to the ship that destroys Kirk and the Excelsior. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Yeah, it's good. I like seeing David again. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, 
It's like, why not? Good idea. But instead of being a scientist, and maybe he was a scientist, who knows, in this dimension, but now he's the leader of the resistance. I mean, he is the leader, right? He seems to be. He seems to be, yeah. Yeah. So that's quite a... Quite a quite a different line of work in the alternate dimension, right? Yeah, and you wonder why he is so high up because it seemed like Carol was actually working for Kirk in the first issue of this series, right? Where she was giving him the ability to do the cross-dimensional jumping and things like that, right? Before Kirk killed her, so she hasn't been dead all that long. No. So that couldn't have been motivation for. David to be doing this. Well, but David does mention, although I did not mention in my synopsis, David does mention that he hates Kirk because of him killing his mother. But so, again, that just happened four issues ago. I know, but I know, but I'm saying that is that is motivation for his hatred of Kirk, not necessarily for him joining the rebels. Right. Exactly. So, and being so high up there. Right. There, there's no explanation for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the murder of his mother that 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 propelled him so high and got him into the Rebel Alliance in the first place. So timing doesn't work, like you say. Right, right. Um, I did. I, I I was really surprised that this is the route they went as far as how Kirk was going to stop the fleet or whatever that was coming from the other dimension. Seems like it's a pretty roundabout way to stop them. Well, what you have a better idea then that you did expect. To be honest, I thought that they were going to somehow break the link between the two universes, but oh well, I don't know how they. I I personally don't know how they could accomplish that. No, I was thinking that that was the route they were going to go. I mean, it's like every ship that pops up can do it. It's like, geez, yeah, you don't even need the shuttles anymore. I mean, the Klingon ships can do it. Well, it, Federation ships yeah, as long it. as you've got two Spocks on the job. <laughs> exactly, but everybody's doing it. It's like, geez. And the thing that, that kind of irks me a little bit is, aren't there supposed to be like an infinite number of dimensions? So is there some special affinity between our two dimensions? Because if there's an infinite number of dimensions, and if you're dimension hopping by all these different methods, how are they always getting the right dimension? Well, Kirk might have, evil Kirk, yeah. might have targeted our universe on purpose. Well, okay. Now, number one, how did he do that? But whatever, let's just imagine he Carol can. Carol did it. Okay. Carol's the one who figured it all out before she got blown okay. up. So then, Kirk and Savik, they were able to figure it out using transwarp technology. And they got the right dimension. And now, totally separate, you got Spock, the, the Spock's doing the same thing. I'm just pointing out that this is probably really complicated stuff. True. Anyway, true. Whatever. Yeah, I know that you haven't seen the movie yet, so I'll I'll tread lightly. But this is uh, the this is also a plot point of the new Fantastic Four movie. Oh yeah. Well, it's the uh, what, what what do they call it? The the end dimension in the comics. Right, but but it's just that there's more than one person creating a portal to another dimension, and they both just happen to be pointing to the right, the same dimension. Uh, so I, I had the same comment that it 
you know, if there is infinite dimensions out there, why why is everybody targeting the same one? <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, which, by the way, I heard nothing but bad things at first about the Fantastic Four movie, and definitely by the time anybody hears this episode, it's going to be all ancient history. But right. uh, more recently, I've been hearing um, that it was not all bad, and the first three quarters of the film was actually probably pretty good, and, and you said that. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good. I mean, I think it's as good as any. You know, it's not as maybe as good as. It's better than Iron Man two and Thor two and things like that. So, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot worse movies out there that uh, it, it can be compared to. Okay. Well, I was gonna wait till it got to HBO, but now I don't think uh, maybe I'm gonna actually go and try to see it this weekend. Okay. Yeah. But back to this story. Right. Yes, dimension hopping. Amazing how easy it is. Yes. And I think, I mean, you mentioned it with the Tantalus field, and we mentioned it with transwarp beaming and transwarp, all the stuff they keep coming up with. Again, if you can create something that, that moves you from one dimension to another, we, why don't we ever see it after these, these eight issues? Right. So there better be some sort of explanation as to why it's never used again. Oh, there won't be. Come on. It's like the reboot movie and the whole uh Transwarp beam. Exactly. Yes, exactly. What do you need ships for now? You don't. Well, I mean, you always will need ships for some things, but for the most part, you don't need a Starfleet. Just no, beam just places. Beam to it. Exactly. And then once you get killed, <laughs> once your red shirt gets killed, just inject them with a little <laughs> blood. Boom. Uh, or, yeah, con blood or whatever, one of those guys. Right. And if you can actually start manufacturing con blood, well, hey, that's the end of death. Why can't you? You have hundreds of them on ice right there. Just start tapping wake them. them up. Yeah, start, start <laughs> putting them on dialysis or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, take it out every month. It's, like a, va- it's like a vampire thing. Just hang them upside down from hooks. Exactly. There you go. Now you're talking. There you go. We, they should have asked us to write the next book. Exactly. Okay. That's the, that, that would be the basis of it. There you go. Okay. Anyway, so I got a question for you. I didn't mention it in the synopsis, but at the beginning of the issue, basically that high council member or whatever was really being a jerk towards uh, Kirk. And as I was reading his lashing out at Kirk about, oh, you failed, you didn't do anything right. It's like I'm thinking to myself, what kind of an idiot is this guy? He's got the Excel series. He's got all this information. He's an idiot. Anyway, so Kirk comes back and does his thing. But also something I didn't mention is when they did the demo of how uh, how much firepower the Excelsior has, Kirk ends up destroying a supposedly decommissioned space platform or hangar or something like that. Space dock, right? Space dock, there you go. And the high counselor said, Kirk, you idiot! You know, my personal ship was there being serviced and you blew it up. And it's like, okay, ha ha ha, Kirk, Kirk wins again. You know, he blows up the, the jerk face's uh, ship. But it's like, if it was being serviced, wouldn't there be other people somewhere on that space dock? Wouldn't they have been yes. killed? He killed them all. Boom. It's like, but they're mirror universe people, so he doesn't care. Uh, I, I didn't mention it in the synopsis last issue, but they killed a whole bunch of mirror universe people that were on the Enterprise. Because uh, remember, there is a line where it says, you know, when the star drive goes, oh, yeah. a good chunk of this of this crew is going to die. And he's like, well, it's all, all we can do. 
let's just save us 12, you know, or <laughs> us, us 10 take priority. Yeah, right. So, yeah, he, he doesn't mind killing Mirror Universe people. No, they're not really people. That's a good point. Oh, well. Because they're evil, and that makes them not good. Right. And not worthwhile. The problem with that little scene that I have is, how is Kirk able to uh, acclimate himself to this society and get away with it as long as he has? Yeah. Well, it seems like he would have gotten figured out pretty quick. You think so? And there is a part in these three issues where Kirk starts to question himself about, you know, if he plays the part too long, then is yeah. So when he's with that Commander Moore or whatever. Right. You know, is he going to allow himself to slip into this kind of a mindset? Evil mindset. Anyway. Yep. Right. I agree. It's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous game. And when he first said he was going to go back to the alternate dimension, I was thinking, well, what are you going to do? You know, just try to take out, you know, Empire ships and stuff, you know, one at a time or something? I mean, what are you going to do? I wasn't seeing the, you know, the masquerade thing. Uh, right. But it if you can pull it off, sure, but what a gambit. Right, and to what... I mean, how is he going to be successful? I still don't know. Even at the end of this issue, I don't understand how he was planning on being successful. Is he just going to start... <clears throat> uh, you know, shooting these ships yeah, at once, some point? Well, I, I, I assumed... Once they crossed over? I assumed, I thought, that... But I don't know if he had enough time to explain his plan to the powers that be in Starfleet. Um, I don't think he did. But, you know, if you have a mass of ships, good Federation ships, ready to attack them when the alternate dimension Empire fleet gets there, and then you have the leader of your fleet turn tail and, A, take away from you the central commander which will give you some time to have a headless fleet. And then if you have, you know, Starfleet there, have a contingent force to attack them, then I think you could be quite successful. But a lot of people are going to die that way, uh, including your own people. Right. But still, that is a way to do it. Right. But just, I mean, but Starfleet doesn't know where they're going to come out, when they're going to come out, because it seems like they've been over here for a while now. Well, and, and... If Kirk was able to tell him the game plan and kind of arrange some way of communication, then that would make more sense. But, yeah, you're right. Yep. You're right. And uh, why did David come come onto the ship? Because he, he well, seems like he David. wants to go... He wants to go to this prison planet or whatever. And release people. Yeah, but then they're starting the invasion... <clears throat> to go to the other universe and I didn't understand why David was with him well other than the obvious fact that it's his son but from a tactical standpoint I mean from a getting the job done standpoint good good question very good question right now in the end it turns out to be pretty handy since they had to go with the B plan yeah but but we don't know about the B plan yet let's let's hold okay up I'm trying not to yep yep <laughs> Okay, so it's the bottom of page three of this issue where the Excelsior looks like a sperm. You, you said you wanted me to tell you. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Bottom of page three. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. I don't... 
Look at the Excelsior. I don't see it. What? Wait a minute. No. <laughs> I, okay. Well, I ask you out there in comic book land to take a look and tell me if that does not look like a sperm. I mean, look at it. It's got the tail and everything. Look at it. Anyway. <laughs> you, you know how, how the engineering section tapers off to that flat top kind of little point in the back? Right. And then they've drawn the front of the engineering section. So round. Okay, How you so can't see that? I don't know. Just the engineering section, not not the nacelles. I, take sure. the nacelles and the sure, saucer sure, section sure, sure, sure. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess I could see that. <laughs> I, I thought right. you I thought you were encompassing the saucer section and the nacelles, and I couldn't see it. Okay, well, okay, whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I could see it, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay, so have you been to Alcatraz? Ever? Never, no. Okay, well, I, I have. I used to live in the Bay Area for about eight years. And the only way to get there today is by boat, which is the common way, or maybe helicopter. There isn't any magic sewer system. So right. who knows what happens in a couple of hundred years, but odds are there won't be a sewer system. But that seems to be exactly what they took to be able to get to Alcatraz in this comic book. They did, they did. They did. Yes. They just walked a right. long time. So Kirk and uh, Commander, or whatever she is, Mora. Right. Yeah. Well, in the future, when all the the seas dry up, ah. yeah, they'll create a sewer system. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute, uh, because I have more than once seen water under the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, that's true. And if there's water under the Golden Gate Bridge... I'm afraid there's probably water between San Francisco and Alcatraz. Bada bing! Yeah, but there's a tunnel underneath. Oh, okay. So they dug a tunnel. Okay, fine. Because <laughs> it's not a real prison anymore. It's a historical monument. Well, I know, but the point... I get you. I, I, I am. Why, just... why would you go to the expense of, of making a tunnel into a small island, really, that you're not using for anything? But whatever. Yeah, I, I get you. No idea. So one of the things I did like about this book, even though it's not historically accurate anymore, right. is where the mirror universe and the prime universe diverged. Oh yeah, I the like history. I like that she actually gives an explanation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know it's not true now because we've seen Mirror Darkly of Enterprise exactly where it was already diverged. You know, back when Cochrane was there. exactly, and there was no good reason for that. Okay, so. I I thought at least this was a decent reason. So, Earth is beaten by the Romulans. We are subjugated. We're able to free ourselves. But odds are the people of Earth have gone through quite a bit of, um, you know, rough treatment, bad treatment. People murdered, I'm sure. Um, tortured. A rough, rough time. So coming out of uh, an era like that, maybe we did lose our way. I mean, there was more of a reason there. Right. Now, in Enterprise, where they show Zephram Cochran blowing away the Vulcan, it's like, okay, World War Three, I get, or nuclear, yeah, World War Three nuclear no, bombs. I, no, because during the, you know, they have a different opening. Um, it shows, like, the moon landing and things like that, and it's also different, so... The moon landing was different? 
Yeah, no, because they had the uh, the this okay sword and Earth logo instead of the United States logo. Okay, so like we were that. always evil. We were always oh, the evil alternate. Born. Okay, right. Well, that makes even less. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, so this alternate dimension was always evil. It is evil. It will always be evil. And why are we even trying to uh, change them? Oh, yeah, I like the comic book better. All right. <laughs> yep. Or is it? Is this an alternate universe of the alternate universe? Hmm? Ooh, mm-hmm. this could be. Oh, ooh, oh, ooh. Yes, it could be. <laughs> well, there are so many infinite number of universes that theoretically, many, many, many of those universes could be very, very much the same. With only slight differences, right? So if that's true, then maybe, maybe there are many dimensions that have a Terran Empire in them. It is so funny that we're talking about this and looking at advertisements for Crisis of the Infinite Earths. Oh, because that was the plot point of that movie. Oh, sure. The, yeah, is that there was infinite Earths, infinite Supermans. Right. We're gonna get down to one. Wow. So wild. Destroy all the other ones. Wild, wild, wild. I wonder if they did that on purpose did this story because DC was going to do the whole dimension jumping superhero art. Oh, I don't know. At the same time. I no, maybe. I thought it was just promotion. I just thought it was that Mike Barr was digging on the whole mirror universe idea. Right. But who knows? Right. Because knows? he is, I mean, in a couple of these issues, maybe this one, he is actually a co-editor. Yeah, he got all three of these issues he's co-editor. Okay. So that's quite frankly, it's the first time I've ever, ever seen the writer ascended into co-editor status. Now, Mike Barr is a very experienced writer, uh, and he's re- he's written a ton of uh, Star Trek stuff. Right. So obviously, he you know he's very capable. Interesting that he becomes co-editor. Right. I'm sure that's part of the reason that. This has so many issues. He was able to make that happen. Anyway. And again, I'm digging the story. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, all these nits that I keep pointing yeah. out. Yeah. Did not derail me from enjoying the movie. No, no. Enjoying the and, story and, I, and something that's definitely occurred to me as we're giving our commentary, and I think we've pointed this out about ourselves too, we tend to focus on maybe the, the chinks in the armor, the flaws. But there's a ton of good sh- stuff going on here. And, right. and, and yeah, I yeah. definitely am enjoying these issues. Yeah, and I think the main reason why we point out, the, the, like you said, the the dents in the armor or whatever, is because, you know, that's what's kind of funny. And we can make little snide comments and things like that about it, where, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, you can't really make a snide comment about something you really liked. <laughs> because <laughs> there's nothing to, to make a comment about. Exactly. Yeah, a perfect comic book wouldn't be very interesting now, would it? Yeah, it'd be a very short uh, episode. Yeah. It's like, synopsis done. It's like, this is really, artwork was great, story was great. We have really nothing to say. Thumbs up. We loved it. Thumbs up, everybody. Next issue. Next issue. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of next issue, I don't have anything else on this one. I just have a few things to say, and then I'm I'm done, too. So who is the Atomic Knight? Because there is an ad that talks about the Atomic Knight. So this is another comic book. It's showing like an Arthurian kind of knight in right. armor, but he has like a laser gun, and he's, oh, he's riding, riding a dog. He well, a big leopard. It's like 
uh-huh. with floppy ears. You know, so it's like this is wild. Now they they, they got their creativity uh, big boy pants on for this one, but um, <laughs> it's like they said something about the Atomic Knight is somebody you know, and then didn't they mention Superman somewhere in the article? I don't know. I'm confused. You know the, what the Atomic Knight yeah. is? I do not know who the Atomic Knight is, but this is an advertisement for Who's Who, which was uh, basically like an excite. You know, this is before the internet, and yeah. you could just Google uh, Atomic Knight. So, um, you know, they would come out with these Who Who's, and it was just like an encyclopedia okay. of just like one page per, not maybe not even a page if it wasn't a huge person, but it would just be like one page of who this person is, and they would try to do every random character in the you know fifty years of DC Comics. Wow. So the, the whole purpose of this ad is they pick somebody incredibly obscure. Right. You're not going to know who this guy is. And they're saying, do you know who this is? If not, you need to buy who's who. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I think, I, and I may be totally wrong, but I think Atomic Knight is part of the Adam Strange comic book series. Hmm. But uh, I might be wrong. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, so I just thought I'd bring that up. Um, yep. They did come out with a who's who of Star Trek because this who's who thing was pretty popular. And, uh, so towards DC the end did that of, or somebody else? Yeah, no, DC did, huh. yeah. So towards the end of the Volume 1 run of DC Comics, they came out with a Star Trek who's who, mm-hmm. and in it they had you know all the main people you know, uh, a whole bunch of people that were only in the TV show and the movies, you know, like Khan and, you know... Um, you know, just random people from from the show, right. and then they had all the people that were invented for the comic book. So it had Bear Claw oh. and it had Bryce. Sure. You know, so right. so it was a really cool book because it was a cool mixture of what's never been in the comic book. You know, because it was only in that one episode of the original series, and people who never existed outside of the comic book. So. Um, I don't know if we'll ever review that one because there's not there's no story. Right. It is an interesting book to thumb through. Hmm. Yeah, I can't see doing a synopsis for that. Yeah, it would be all right, on page one we have Captain Kirk. <laughs> you might have heard of him. <laughs> okay, so my last thing to say about this one though is I found that the star charts that the rebels were using were really kinda cool. Very colorful and stuff. At first, I was looking at these star charts, and they're like, what the heck are they doing here? And then it's like, oh, so not only are they showing the planets and and maybe moons and stuff, but they're showing the orbits. Because what this looks like is just a bunch of what almost looks like random circles of different sizes and different colors that they've got here. So they're showing a solar system where you're seeing all the planets and some moons, but you're also seeing their orbits, I believe, so, you know, I thought that was visually interesting, if a bit confusing at first. So Yeah, I don't know for sure if that's supposed to be orbits and stuff, because some of those circles are, are completely out. You know, there's no other circle that connects them. So I get what you're saying, well, but I just don't know if that's... Well, and that... I don't really prove it. That's, that's my way of, of explaining it. So I know you normally try to explain the unexplainable. <laughs> That's my way of explaining yeah. it. And I think in some cases that is what it is. 
However, I do agree with you. It's some of these don't fit my uh, rationalization for what these charts are. Right. But still, some do look like uh, orbits. I thought it was just a really complicated Venn diagram. <laughs> but David is pointing to a planet He's with scientists yep. and stuff. So, <laughs> okay, that's the last thing I have to say. Yeah, about that I, I did not know what any of that was. Just, just to say, like a, a ooh, pretty bunch of circles. <laughs> Colorful circles. Ooh, pretty. Anyway. Okay. It is funny that they're using paper. You don't see that much in the 23rd century. No. No. But maybe because they're rebels on the run. You know. Right. They can't carry a lot of equipment with them. That must be it. Yeah. They do have a lot of paper on the table. Okay. That's my last thing. Okay. Cool. All right. So next up is New Frontiers Chapter 6 entitled Behind Enemy Lines. This was Star Trek Volume 1, issue number 14. Came out May of 1985. All the staff is the same. Uh, Letterer is John Costanza again. But everybody else is the same as issue 12. Alright, so the cover shows two Spocks in chains standing before the Klingon leader who is proclaiming, For crimes against the Empire... Both Spocks must die. So the story starts with Kirk's ruse as being the leader of the mirror invasion fleet having failed and he's about to be destroyed. The Excelsior is taking a beating from the whole invasion force and is unable to slip back to the Prime Universe. The two Spocks and... The Klingon Conum uh, beam back to the cloaked bird of prey that's been towed up to now. And then they take the ship to attack a few of the Mirror Universe Federation craft. Surprise, the attacking force allows the Excelsior to escape at warp 20. Once Kirk is away, the Spocks take the bird of prey away from the action as well. Kirk takes the Excelsior to the prison planet that the Mirror David had talked about last issue. They replicate some prison guard uniforms, and Kirk, David, Savick, Chekhov, and some random red shirt beam over to the planet, knowing that they will be unable to beam back uh, due to the prison's shields. Once there, they find the prisoners are not being tortured into giving up their secrets, but they're actually being fed dreams of their families. And when they ask for, uh, and then in the dreams, they're being asked for details by their sons and daughters, and unknowingly, the prisoners are talking to them and giving away all the secrets that way. Eventually, the Enterprise crew is spotted, and the ISS Farragut is called to assist the planet. The away team now needs to hurry so that they can free the prisoners and disable the shields and be gone before the Farragut arrives. Soon, a firefight ensues between the prison guards and the Federation crew. Uh, at the end, all we see is phaser blasts within the dark halls of the prison. Meanwhile, the Spocks have made it to the Klingon Empire, and they request to speak to Kalis IV. They are taken to the Klingon homeworld. Kalis does not want to hear a tale of mirror universes, and he orders them all to be killed. Conum demands the test of truth with what is called a mind sifter. 
Kalis agrees, but he tells the Klingon that he will not live through the test. Konum is hooked up, and no matter how high the settings, he keeps telling the same story. They are from another universe, and they only want to help the Klingons defeat the Federation Empire of this universe. Eventually, Kalis IV agrees. On the prison planet, Savik is about to drop the shields when one of the prisoners heroically sacrifices himself to save her. With the shields dropped, everyone is beamed away. On the ship, Kirk orders a retreat, and they are away before the Farragut arrives. Next issue, entitled Victory? Question mark? To be continued. So, well, quite an action-packed story arc, eh? Two more to go, and it is still taking some interesting twists and turns. So apparently Kirk figures he's going to enlist the aid of the Klingons to help defeat the Empire. Right. Yes, and who better to send than two Vulcans? <laughs> and a Klingon. <laughs> and a Klingon. A, a, Klingon a Klingon that doesn't... Go ahead. Who doesn't like Klingons. Doesn't like Klingons and is in a Starfleet or an Empire uniform. Right. So, I don't know. But isn't it handy that he was there? Because uh, Kirk said, hey, take Conum, or Konam, or whatever, because he actually might know how to fly the ship. Fly the ship. Uh, but Which the Spocks have already been doing a pretty darn good job. I'm exactly, just saying. Exactly, exactly. They got it to another dimension. It, <laughs> I think they know the ship pretty well. <laughs> exactly. So now he ends up being much more valuable. Once they right. get to Kronos. Yeah, good thing he knew about this test of truth business. Yeah, which turns out to be kind of like, it's just a a truth uh, uh, encephalogram or whatever. Right, right, right. Only because it's a Klingon one, it has to inflict pain, of course. Right, of course. I mean, if he was sitting there with a little few electrodes on him and somebody on a, looking at a graph chart or something, it's like that wouldn't be <laughs> that wouldn't be Klingon enough. Right, right. No, this has to be something he can die for. Exactly. Yeah, I did like how Kalis was asking the question, and he'd be like, crank it up to 11. <laughs> but sir, he's telling the truth. Crank it up to 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if he's telling the truth. Yeah, it wasn't until Spock was like, hey, we, we want you to take over the Federation Empire. Oh, okay. Turn off. He's well, good. why didn't you say that in the first place? <laughs> sure. <laughs> We're your buddies now. Okay. Right. So warp fracking 20 warp 20 baby oh, that's just stupid that's ridiculous and nobody turned into salamanders I don't understand well they they routinely go beyond 10 I know 10 and higher they're they're all the time yeah I didn't understand how the the, the engines took damage during the fight between every single ship that was in the fleet right. they couldn't slip to the other universe but they can still go warp 20 yeah that's right Amazing. That's right. Well, that's what the script called for. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Scotty fixed right. it just in time. <laughs> yeah. You got to keep up with these things, Donovan. You're right. I'm sorry. So, we've we've mentioned before about how smooth the uh, Excelsior is painted and stuff or drawn. Definitely, the whole there is a neck of the Excelsior. I think it's like dark color too, um, right? And like ridged and ridged exactly. 
which right. joins the engineering section to the the saucer section and there is that's not in any of these drawings no nope. no nope. very annoying it's completely smooth right i mean everything smooth is one thing but it's missing components ah whatever oh by the way i had seen a uh, little video on youtube that talked about the excelsior class ship uh, no actually it talked about enterprise b so it focused on okay. Enterprise B, and it talked about the history of the Excelsior class ships, and it talked about it showed pictures of the Excelsior, and then it showed a picture of Enterprise B from generations and stuff, and uh, it was very interesting. So definitely the engineering section has an extra uh, of Enterprise B has an extra like ridge in it, like 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 a kind of pointy part that goes around the front sides. Oh really? Which I always I noticed that when I watched Generations, it was like, okay, yeah, I see that, and I just thought, I, actually, I kind of think it looks kind of kind of cool, and that is a fundamental difference from the original Excelsior that we saw in Wrath of Khan, and or not Wrath of Khan, um, the third movie, Search for Spock. Search for Spock. But the people that put together the video was saying that that was supposed to be like some kind of a uh, design element that was bridging Enterprise B and Enterprise D. Because, of course, we know that, you know, the engineering section almost looks like a manta ray uh, right. with Enterprise D. And it's like, oh, huh. huh. That's interesting. I don't know if that's right, but, hmm. I mean, especially since Enterprise C, the ambassador class, doesn't do that at all. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, it's round. It's a it's a big round cigar kind of engineering section. Yeah, at the front, right? Right. So, eh, I thought that was interesting theory. Right. I'll, I'll have to look that up. Where, where did you see this article? No, it was on YouTube. Or, it was a video on YouTube. Oh, it was a video. Yeah. So it there's all kinds of YouTube videos out there that are dedicated to different starships. Okay. So, I remember watching a. Um, it might have been on the DVD of Star Trek Three. They were talking about when they were designing the Excelsior. Um, they wanted to, you know, aesthetically, they wanted it to look like what would the Enterprise look like if the Japanese had it, uh, had it invented it, you know, designed it. Oh, really? So supposedly it was supposed to look more, you know, uh, Asian or Japanese. Really? You know. That's interesting. Uh, I don't, I don't see it, but. Uh, they said that was their that was their um, motivation or their design aesthetic goal. Right. goal. How interesting! I mean, why? What's what's special about the Japanese that they would want to do that? Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know if it's because of their animation or because of their you know um, you know Robotech or whatever. I don't know what was popular at the time. Uh-huh. Or maybe they were just talking about you know. Cars and stuff. Okay, being more compact and things right. than, than our cars. Right. Um, something I've read in the past is they definitely they gave it a flat top in the engineering section to make it a little bit more like an aircraft carrier. And it's like, okay, I can uh, see that. But also, you've never seen anything landing. <clears throat> no, no. But it does I mean it has a flat top in the engineering section. No two ways about that. Yeah. So I guess nope. it kind of, sort of is reminiscent of a uh, aircraft carrier of the current age. Another thing is, and I, I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but they were looking around at different 
things to make the Excelsior. And one of the things they were going to do is reuse the some of the Enterprise designs they had for the TV series. Rather than doing Star Trek The Motion Picture, of course, they were going to do a TV series. And what was the name of the TV series? Star Trek Phase 2. Okay, Star Trek Phase 2. Um, and and f- and one of the designs that supposedly came out of Star Trek Phase 2 was basically the Enterprise J design. You, oh, really? Yes, so spindly engines. That really spindly Exactly. Yeah. So th- I guess they really wanted to make the new Enterprise look very advanced and a very big leap technologically and design-wise from the original Enterprise. And they were thinking of using that for the Excelsior. And Mm. supposedly Leonard Nimoy actually had a hand in saying, supposedly, I I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I read, um, that Nimoy had a hand in in picking uh, what the ship was going to be because he was, you know, the director and stuff. Right. right. But I don't, I don't. I don't know that he came up with the idea, but maybe somebody else came up with the Excelsior design, and he liked the Excelsior design because it was it made more sense. It was closer to uh, the existing Enterprise, the ref- right. closer to the refit Enterprise. It seemed to make more sense to him rather than this thing that was like whacked. You know, really, yeah, really really very different from the existing uh, Constitution class ships. Yeah, I really don't like the Enterprise J. Well, I like it, but it's like that's really different. Like, and that should be the way the way they finally slotted it far in the future. Right. That makes more sense out there. But yeah, it's not my favorite Starship design either. Um, mm. But still. No, that's interesting. I never heard well, that. Okay, so I'm I'm not repeating myself. Okay, good. Okay, should we get back to this issue? Yeah, sure. I I, I love talking starships and phasers and weapons, but right, you do. I do. I do. I do. But you like ships too, and I bet everybody listening loves ships. Of course, course. they're listening to us. Exactly. Talk about ships. A few people listening. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so. Let me just say, the Excelsior has transporters that can transport through shields, apparently. At least the shields that they have at this planet's, uh, this penitentiary site or something. Right. Yeah. Is there anything, and is there anything Excelsior can't do? Beam people back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So, I, you're right. Anyway, but with all the stuff they've been doing, it's like, I mean, I knew... I knew Excelsior was a step forward, but I also th- thought transwarp engines didn't work from the movies, but whatever. Um, right. So, but, but at this point, you know, my suspense, my suspended disbelief integrity is down to like 25%. Oh, that's not good. No. I just thought I'd mention that. And actually, mm. that kind of annoys me. Okay. Transwarp engines. The, the Excelsior right. had it. It was the ma- it was the big experiment. They were making fun of it in in uh, the, th- the third movie. Thing. So right. and the Enterprise D in Next Gen didn't have any transwarp stinking engines. I, I thought I thought the transwarp engines just kind of like was dropped because they never really worked. 
yet right. yeah. they got him here in this issue, and it's like, it's... Uh, and, and maybe they hadn't well, come to the point where they decided uh, in the in the, in the the movie proper and in, in the right continuity that they'd never pick it back up again and fix it, but... Yep, that's it. Okay. Yeah, so they they don't say that they... I don't know if they ever actually say it in the, in the in the filmed versions of anything, but supposedly the the trans warp didn't work, and they went back to traditional uh, engines, warp drives. Yeah. yeah. So when Excel when Sulu gets the Excelsior, it's it's standard, normal, normal engines, warp drives. Okay. Cool. Well, they're using the heck out of it in this issue. There are these issues. Yeah, they are. So why aren't they going to the Borg space and stuff like that when that's what happens when the Enterprise uses transwarp Enterprise D. Okay, but doesn't don't you need to form a transwarp conduit or something? Oh so my it's goodness. not quite the same, or is it? I don't know. I, they they never mention transwarp conduits. <laughs> anyway, whatever. So they reuse the word, but they spun a little bit in next gen for the Borg right. technology. Exactly. Cool. Cool. So, uh, on another note, uh, just to move things around, and talking about the disbelief part, I find it hard to believe that in this society that is all about pain and torturing people and killing people, right. um, mutiny and things like that. You know, the whole, your whole basis of society is based on these right. things. That when you capture somebody that has information you want, you pamper them with uh, you know this this fairy tale dream right. that, I mean when they, once they wake up yes it's horrible because their family never was there but it seemed like a, a really different way to get get the information out of these people just to give them good dreams and they'll slip up and tell good you the point. answers now mind you it's an effective way apparently but it's not very empire-ish is it right I mean it's like Klingons even though there might be a smarter way to do something, if it doesn't involve a batlith and like violence, eh, they're probably not going to bother with it. <laughs> right. Anyways, I just thought that was, uh, I mean, it's an effective way to get the information, but for this society, right. it seemed a little out of place. Right. Agreed. Agreed. So, on that topic, it's a good thing that they were drugging the scientists. Because that, especially that particular scientist, because if he wasn't drugged out of his mind, he might have noticed it being a little odd that the seven-year-old niece would be asking about ion induction fields. <laughs> Excuse right. me, Grandpa. I was just wondering about ion induction fields. How do they work? Yeah, yeah. that's likely. Tell me, tell me again how they work, Grandpa. Yeah, that was funny. Now, Grandpa, does the cosine of the inversion wave really? Go that way. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> yes, it was funny. I liked it. <laughs> I, I, I liked that scene. I liked that part. I just didn't fit the Empire's uh, the MO. Agreed, agreed. Okay, well, I have another question for you. Right. The alternate dimensions Farragut, uh -huh. which was cool. Hey, they got the Farragut here. Cool. Right, right. But they're call it, they called it a Constellation-class ship. In this comic. Now, that struck me as odd. Oh, really? Yes. That struck me as very odd. 
So I went ahead and looked up what a constellation constellation class starship is on Memory Alpha. And basically, that's the Stargazer. The Stargazer is a constellation class ship. Okay. Four nacelles. Right. Huh. So, Picard ship. Um, right. And this ship pretty much looks like a refit Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when I read it, I, you know, I misread it and read <clears throat> Constitution class. Yeah, but you do see the constellation, right? Yeah, no, I see it now. It's definitely what it yeah. says. So, it's like. Wow. Now, was maybe at some point Constellation Class mentioned before Next Gen came out? I don't think so. I mean, because Next Gen... Because no, you don't ever <clears throat> see any other type of ship. Until until you saw, uh, you know, the, the Wrath of Khan. Um, that was the first time we saw a Federation ship that didn't look exactly like the Enterprise. Right. Right. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I I think I attribute it to a mistake um, by somebody in the production of this uh, comic. Yeah, interesting. Because I would think that if it was ever referred to in the past as more of a uh, maybe a successor to Constitution class, that Memory Alpha would have mentioned that, and they didn't. Right. So. Yeah. Sometimes you need to check Memory Beta because they have some of the more apocryphal stuff. Oh, oh, apocryphal? Okay. Uh, you know, the stuff that's not true canon. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Oh, I did not know that. So is that the difference between memory alpha and beta? Uh, right. Alpha is dedicated to the main movies and TV show storyline, and B will put anything in there? Yep, Okay. pretty much. Oh, right. Cool. I did not know that. Now I know. And knowing is half the exactly. battle. And that's my last comment. <clears throat> um, my last comment was I, I just wish I, I don't know if they could have done it here but um, once they mentioned the Farragut it got me to wondering, okay so did the Mirror Universe Kirk serve on the Farragut too and and did the Farragut fight that big uh, you know blobby monster <laughs> that, that killed all of the Kirk's crew right, and stuff like right. that so uh, you know just got me to wondering how much of Kirk's past is similar to this Kirk's right. past. Exactly. Huh? But, you know, it, it wouldn't have fit the story, no. but no. It, it just got me to wondering. Interesting choice, though, of the Farragut. Yeah. All right. So is that it? Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, because we want to see what happens next, next we will be doing another uh, DC Volume 1 Issues next week as well great great we'll do those we'll wrap this up and so 15 16, so 17 will be a new story okay should cool. be yeah and, and i'm basing this mainly off of the graphic novel the mirror universe saga has up to um issue 16 in it ah, so that that should be and that should be right yeah there. and what's awesome about that that graphic novel mm-hmm. uh one the paper quality is so much better than what these these issues are so right. the colors and stuff look really good, good. in the uh, graphic mm-hmm. novel and also it has a new cover which is a really awesome painting of a combination of the mirror universe um characters and the prime universe characters all in their you know burgundy wrath of Un- wrath of khan type mm-hmm. uniforms 
Um, and it's really cool because you see the bearded Spock and the not bearded Spock on the same painting. Uh-huh. It's it's a it's a really cool cover. Cool. I recommend you looking it All up. All right, I will do that. So. All right. Well, then uh, that's it, and so we'll we'll be back next week. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic, second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.